Well, we continue to be buoyed along through this season of Epiphany. This past week, Sanctuary's clergy set out uh, across Tulsa to bless our parishioners' homes, part of this practice of Epiphany home blessings. So I hope uh, you were part of that. Hope you were blessed by that this past week. It's always a sweet way to begin the year, to start the year that way with blessing our homes and these places where we welcome in our friends and our families and we share meals and have conversations and we mark our homes in that way as places of God's peace, places of God's hospitality. So thank you to those of you who welcomed us in this past week. We linger in this season, this season that asks us to consider the ways that God makes himself known particularly how God has revealed himself to us in Jesus Christ. These epiphanies, these revelations, they're meant to remind us that Jesus is the clearest, the fullest revelation of who God is. Jesus is what God has to say. Our Old Testament reading for today reminds us that God comes to us in unexpected ways, and even and maybe especially at unexpected times. In 1 Samuel 3, we find this story of Eli, the high priest, and this boy named Samuel. The word of the Lord was rare in those days, the text tells us, and visions were not widespread. This is more than just God's aloofness. The word of the Lord, in this sense, signifies a priestly function. It shows us that something is deeply broken about the priesthood, about the representatives of God and their faithful witness in the world. So these were dark days for Eli, the high priest, for a number of reasons. Physically, Eli, we're told, his eyesight is growing dim because of his old age. Spiritually, the word of the Lord isn't coming to him either. And within his own family, his sons are just running amok. This, this priestly lineage is a disaster. But in that absence and darkness, a time that's void of God's word, a time that's full of corruption in the temple, the text says that the lamp of God had not yet gone out. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. Samuel is a boy who had been committed. He had been dedicated to the Lord. He's living and he's working in the temple under Eli. And one night in the deep darkness, with the lamp of God still barely burning, the voice of the Lord comes to him. But Samuel doesn't recognize it as the voice of the Lord. Samuel thinks that this voice is actually the old priest, Eli. So he goes to him and each time this happens, Eli sends him back to bed until finally Eli suspects that Samuel is not just hearing voices, but that God is speaking to him. So Eli tells him the next time he hears that voice, respond, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Your servant is listening. Of course, if you know this story, Samuel hears the voice again, he responds to it, and the Lord tells Samuel everything that is about to happen. It's a, it's a judgment against Eli and Eli's house. It's a judgment that names the corruption that's been taking place, the blaspheming that has gone on. And so the next morning, Eli asks Samuel what the Lord said to him, and he's afraid to tell him because it's not good news. 
but he still tells him. And Eli just simply responds, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And as Samuel grew up, the, Lord the text tells us, the Lord was with him. There are just a couple of things that I want to draw our attention to on this second Sunday after the Epiphany and on the day before we honor and celebrate the life of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. First, I'm shocked by Eli's faithfulness in a time of faithlessness. Remember, all of this takes place at a time when the word of the Lord was rare. This is a time of confusion. This is a time of uncertainty for people like Eli because God remained silent. Yet when Eli starts to catch what happens, he's, he's able to help lead Samuel into faithfulness, even in the midst of his own uncertainty. Abraham Heschel, who uh, walked alongside Dr. King in the march from Selma to Montgomery. He talks about faith as this idea of what he calls faithful memory. Faithful memory. He said that faith was the continued faithfulness to past experiences of awe and wonder at the divine. Essentially, that faith is about being faithful to a time when you had faith. He says that I believe really means I remember. Eli isn't so much acting out of faith as he is acting out of a remembrance of his own experiences with God. If you remember this story at all, Eli had this experience with Samuel's mother, whose name was Hannah. And one day she was in the temple and she's praying and her, the text tells us that her mouth is moving, but there's no voice that's coming out of her mouth. Eli sees her mouth moving, but doesn't hear any prayers actually coming up out of her. And so Eli accuses her of being drunk. Put away your wine, he says to Hannah. But then she explains that she is just deeply troubled She's in great anxiety, the text says, praying out of that pain. And so Eli blesses her. He blesses her and he tells her to go in peace that God will grant her her petitions. Of course, she goes and Samuel is born. Now, for Eli, that woman whose mouth was moving, but no voice was heard. Her son is hearing voices, but no one's lips are moving. And Eli, even though the word of the Lord was rare, he recognized what was happening. He recognized it in Samuel because he remembered what happened to Hannah. We need those kinds of moments in our lives that kind of memory to be able to, to look back and to remember what God has done so that we can trust God for what God is doing, even when we can't recognize it. Eli takes that little bit of faith that he has and he leads Samuel into a life of faithfulness. This is why when we confess the creed, we used to encourage you to say it loud enough for those around you to hear it. Because as the people of God, when we gather, there are some of us who are here who are full of faith. And there are some who are here who have little or have none today. 
All they could do was manage to get out of their warm bed and head out into the cold to be here because they were looking for something, because something about gathering together seemed right and seemed good. And it's our job, for those of us who have faith, to have faith enough for them, to bear them along in their lack of faith and keep reminding them that the lamp of God might be dim, but it has not gone out. All of us at times live in these kinds of in-between spaces of being full of faith and faithlessness. And we need to be Eli's. We need to be people who can hold space for others in their faithlessness so that we can help guide them back to a life of faith. Second thing is that Eli speaks a simple word to Samuel that becomes a marker of Samuel's ministry. Remember what he said to respond, your servant is listening. Your servant is listening. There's a transition that happens in this story that we're experiencing, that we're witnessing. It's this transition from the world of priests to the world of prophets. Samuel is known as the last judge of Israel. And it's in his lifetime when the people of God rise up and say, we no longer want judges. We no longer want priests. We want kings. And so the people who speak for God are not just judges, they become prophets. And in that prophetic ministry, oftentimes we think of the prophetic as what we are saying. But Samuel's prophetic ministry was marked by the ministry of listening, of giving his attention, of hearing what the Lord has to say. Remember, Samuel is the one who anoints Saul as king. And eventually Samuel hears from the Lord that he's to anoint another king while Saul is still king. And kings were easy to identify. These were men who looked the part. They were tall, they were strong, they were good looking. They came from the right families and they lived in the right places. But Samuel listened. And because he was listening, he didn't just find the tallest and the strongest and the richest and the person in the most right place that belonged to the most right family. He goes to Bethlehem, this small town off the beaten path to a small family and anoints the smallest one, David. None of this makes any sense. To people who only have eyes to see but don't have ears to hear, it doesn't make any sense. But Samuel listened. Dietrich Bonhoeffer talked about the ministry of the ear, the ministry of listening, as he called it. He said this, The first service that one owes to others in the fellowship consists in listening to them. Just as love to God begins with listening to his word, to Jesus, so the beginning of love for the brethren is learning to listen to them. It is God's love for us that he not only gives us his word, but also lends us his ear. So it is God's work that we do for our brothers when we learn to listen to him. Christians, especially ministers, <clears throat> so often think they must always contribute something when they're in the company of others. <laughs> that is, that this is the one service that they have to render. They forget that listening 
can be a greater service than speaking. Many people are looking for an ear that will listen. They do not find it among Christians because these Christians are talking where they should be listening. But he who can no longer listen to his brother will soon be no longer listening to God either. He will be doing nothing but prattle in the presence of God too. This week while I was out blessing homes, one of the things that I try to do in that practice is to pause and to allow the people in whose home I'm in share with me what's going on in their lives and in their world and pray specific prayers over them and over their families and over the coming year. And this week, more than one family asked for prayer as we all collectively head into another election year. And it, doesn't it always feel like we're going into an election year? Like it just never stops. And what I heard behind that, behind that request was certainly a good bit of anxiety, but also a good bit of fear that any more strife, that any more division might just break us. I don't know that we can do much other than pray that that doesn't happen. But one thing I think that we can do is commit to being people who listen. Not just people who hear, but people who listen. Because those people who are red-faced, angry, screaming, most of the time, they're just desperate for someone to listen to them. And underneath that anger and that frustration is always a good deal of fear. Listening, of course, doesn't imply agreeing with anyone. Listen, I'm an Enneagram nine. And in conversations, as people share things with me, this is kind of like my automatic, my default response, right? And I've been in more than one conversation where this is happening. And they get to the end and say, well, see, you get it. And I go, oh, I don't get it at all. Listening doesn't imply that you're agreeing with them, but you can still lend them your ear. You can simply be a non-anxious kind of presence to them. Because here's what's happening is so often we aren't talking to one another. We're, we're always talking past one another. And if we can be someone who stands in that gap to say, you don't just get to throw this past me. I can absorb it. I can take it. I can listen. What we find is a kind of diffusion that happens. I was listening to a psychologist guy. I can't remember his name. doesn't matter. And he said, what we most often experience whenever there's conflict, especially political conflict, is that we get down to how we think things should get done. The practice, what should be the next steps that are taken, but we never get to the point of actually talking about our goals. What is it that we actually want to see accomplished? Not just how we get there. We never get to what it is we want. And he said one of the things that he, he does in his practice is he'll, he'll take people who are on different ends of a political spectrum and put them in a conversation with one another and just continually nudge them to say, well, what are your goals? What do you, what do you want to see happen? At the end of all of this, what kind of world would you like to see created? 
And more often than not, when they can get to those kinds of places where they're not just screaming at each other, they're not just angry with one another, they can start talking about where this is all headed. More often than not, they're much more aligned than they realize. They can, they can find themselves in cooperation with one another rather than competition with one another. This is who I think we ought to be. People who can lend an ear and not be so quick to speak. Because it does create enough space, I think, for understanding. And where we can find understanding, there can be compassion. And wherever there is compassion, there can be healing. So as we stand here on the second Sunday after the Epiphany, as we stand here before the day where we remember the life of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., the two things I want us to carry with us is that we can hold space for people who are lacking faith. We can be people who have faith enough for others. And let's be people who listen, who offer one another the ministry of the ear, the ministry of listening because we just might see healing happen. Amen.